As Pastor Mark said, we have two readings this morning. The first are the first 21 verses in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And the second is a two-verse passage from the eighth chapter of the letter to the Romans, beginning with verse 26. These can be found on pages 1004 and 1043 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visits Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now Romans 8, 26-27, the Apostle Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Word of the Lord. Our God of grace, as we open our ears and our hearts to listen to what is being said to us through this passage, or these two passages on Pentecost Sunday, we come to it from different places, different experiences, and um, all kinds of diverse life, life journeys spiritually. And whether we come this morning with great hurts that feel like they need healing, or whether we come with 
a feeling of guilt that needs to be dealt with, processed through your grace, or whether we sit with a sense of joy that we want to offer up to you with words of praise and thanks, or all the other kinds of things we might bring. We pray that, um, and our, our desire is that you would meet us, and that these words of Scripture would be um, embodied by you, the great word made flesh. They would come alive for us, living and active in ways we didn't expect. And that we might continue to have a relationship with you and with your words, in which our ears are sharpened. That we might be more present and more aware of where you are and what you are doing. And what you have to say to us about who we are and what you have done for us and where you are sending us. Speak to us now in such a way that our lives might be changed through your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I still think, I think this mic might be a little bit up, Davion, if you want to turn it down just a little bit. The question of the week last week was, what lights your fire? And someone says, a couple of people said injustice. Someone else said Nate Johnson. I think his wife. I hope his wife. A couple of people talked about nature. One person talked about unengineered rivers. No dams, no levees, no obstructions. And in parentheses it says, it's a geology thing. Someone else says self-sacrificing love, and someone else says God and the beauty and uniqueness of his creation. What lights your fire? We're talking about Pentecost. We're talking about the strangeness of the story where these uh, this fire, fire is there. It's a story that I think is uh, confusing. I, I, I don't always know what to do with this story. Um, and I think... Um, there's something about it's, it's confusing, and yet it's got universal elements to it. And that there seems to be outside spiritual forces that are arriving. Fire is this universal symbol that we can all relate to, and the wind uh, blowing in. Um, so there's enough there that we resonate, that we're drawn in, and yet what do we... You know, what do we take away from it? And it's always been tempting, I think, for folks to read these stories in this part of the Bible. And since it is part of, it's the introduction of an era of which we are still a part of, if you think about the whole swoop of the Bible story, it's tempting to read this and say, well, okay, this is somehow the instruction manual for how it has to look in church life. I'm comforted by a really sharp and incisive comment um, from the NIV Zondervan Study Bible. It's in your worship guide, this short comment that helps us, I think, on this, when we look at passages like this. And it says this, The period of Acts is a time of transition. And the book's purpose is to show the gospel's relentless advance, not to establish normative patterns for church life and polity. I think that's really helpful. If you, I, I've often put this when you're reading stories in the Bible of things that just happened. 
And I've often put it very simply, um, a little phrase I heard from someone else, I didn't make it up, but I heard this great phrase and it goes, um, description is not always prescription. So as we, you know, as we look at this story, that's good to remember. And it's good to be nudged in the direction of, the, of knowing that the symptoms of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the symptoms and the clues that we might see, will not look the same in every church and in every person. There's some freedom to that. And I've dealt with folks and I've talked with folks who have been really hurt by places or churches that have suggested otherwise, suggested it must look this same way. Otherwise, you haven't yet done something or you haven't yet achieved this sort of, you know, you know where this starts to go. You need to exhibit these signs, otherwise we're not sure if you're really in or you're really holy in. There's some freedom to getting past that and saying, maybe if the Holy Spirit is God and embodies God's presence, maybe the Holy Spirit gets to decide. <laughs> maybe we don't tell the Holy Spirit how to show up. Maybe the Holy Spirit shows up. I have a couple of uh, mentors in my life that exhibit this difference. I think it's helpful to consider these two different stories. I have one mentor named Dave. He preached here. Um, he lives in Michigan. He's a pastor, and he preached here. I was reading something this week about him describing, he wrote something about his preaching process. And so he describes kind of some of the things that go into getting ready to preach, and he says this, I have the gift of praying in tongues. I use it privately to help me worship God and gain joy in the Holy Spirit on Sunday mornings. I stand and pray in the sanctuary, often praying or singing out loud in the Spirit till I sense the power of God and the overflow of a grateful heart. I know that I am praising God and serving Him in song or words and sense God saying to me, You are my child. You are set apart to preach. I will use your words to touch hearts. Trust in me. Plus, one of my mentors, I have another one named Kevin, who's um, in, the, in the kind of the Lincoln, Roseville area where he's a pastor. And he tells a great story of how when he was, I think, in the college or seminary years, he was with this prayer group, this other students, and, and they were passionate about getting into something of like what we just read in the book of Acts, that, that, some, you know, that in their prayer time they might open themselves up to the Holy Spirit and something really uh, flashy might happen. Right? And, and so they were earnestly, with good heart, seeking this, and, and with some discouragement, Kevin, this mentor of mine, came to this point of saying, well, I guess that's not going to happen in me. And one of his friends turned to him and said, Kevin, you have a gift. Your gift is loving people. That's how the Holy Spirit works through you. That story, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing it, was told to me a long time ago, but that's the basic gist of it, and it stuck with me as really helpful especially as we look at some of the issues in a passage like this. Another thing that I found was helpful is Jesus had this conversation with a smart religious guy who was curious and had a, and was really open to Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. And, and in the conversation, um, Jesus is talking to him. It's where we get the phrase, born again. You know that phrase that, that often has negative associations today. Are you born again? Um, and you kind of back up from the person who says that. Right? But... Um, but, no, but it's a positive scripture passage. We've got our own connotations to it. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in this passage. 
And he says to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And listen to this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't completely understand what Jesus is saying here, I'll be honest. But, but I do know that he is that, that John is making a play on words here, and maybe Jesus initially was as well, where with the play on words between wind and spirit, because the words are the same in the Greek. And it seems to be this association is saying something about how God's spirit works, is that you don't get to be a, a spiritual meteorologist and know exactly, you know, where the winds are coming from at what miles per hour and in what direction and where they're going. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. There's, we're kind of at the mercy of God's spiritual weather, if you will. So if you set aside some of those impulses and emotions um, to really nail down, you know, what exactly how we need to look exactly like some of these stories in this passage, if you can kind of push through those impulses that are really only going to end up with kind of accusing people and, and shutting people out, then we can truly listen to what is being said in this passage. This passage of Acts, I'm focusing on that one, not on the one in the book of Romans that we read. And in order to truly listen to this passage, I think you need to understand that um, the Jewish intellectual climate that this happened within. It was a time where there was a sense of, there was a belief that um, by many, perhaps most, that the era of God working, the era of God working where there would be this thing where special people would exhibit these um, flashy signs that they talked of as prophecy, that they would be prophesying that these special people would do this, that, that there was this belief that they were beyond that era now, that that was something that was kind of the old-fashioned days that um, maybe the more um, um, simplistic, naive days when people weren't as sophisticated as we are today, that doesn't really happen anymore in this era. There was some of that mentality going on when this happened, that bygone era when people used to with exuberance, prophesy in the spirit. And so when this unbelievable and probably quite frightening thing happens, with the, the languages and the fire and the wind, um, there's a couple of different responses. Um, there's one of them that exhibits a true sense of the gravity of, of this, and people are asking, what does this mean? So some people have been able to kind of push through the beliefs of the day and are wondering maybe if there is there a new era at work here but then the other response is um, is filled with the skepticism of the day these people must be drunk and so uh, you just kind of see this that some people can't even can't push through their firm sophisticated worldview and so they really just have to ignore what's happening right in front of them and so Peter launches in to explain what what this means how to make sense of this incredible, unbelievable, potentially scary thing that's happening. 
And when Peter goes in to explain this, it's very, um, it's very calculated, it's very specific, and um, I think it's really brilliant. I think it's safe to assume that Peter probably heard Jesus teach uh, from this ancient passage that Peter refers to. And he goes to the, the chapter 2 of Joel when he says, Even on my servants, or let me go back a little bit further. He says, In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And he ends it by saying, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a, a sense of things opening up. Even in the ancient... Um, so, well, so it's obvious, right, what Peter's saying is that there's a new, there is a new era, that the doors are swinging open, there's a new thing happening, and, and the Bible, he's sort of, sort of saying, I have your scriptures on my side, there's a, this has been foretold. Some of the background on this thing of prophecy, and why it's kind of really amazing how the doors are swinging wide open right now, is that if you go back and follow some of the stories, we'll just kind of look at one, you'll see some of the dynamics of this concept of the Spirit arriving and prophecy happening. When ancient Israel, and you find this in around 1 Samuel uh, chapters 8, 9, 10, um, when ancient Israel decided God wasn't enough as their king, they needed a king like the people around them, they needed a physical king. So God acquiesced to that request and appointed um, or had Saul uh, from the smallest tribe of Israel and the most insignificant clan of that tribe. He had Saul chosen to be anointed as king. Just a fantastic, fun story all around that. I had fun reading through it a couple times again this week. But I'll, I'll save you, we don't have time. It, it comes to the point where Samuel anoints uh, Saul as king. And, and, Saul, and Samuel says... That he gives him a few things. He basically wants Saul to know this isn't a joke. And um, in order to prove that, like sort of the down payment on that, is that he tells him a few things that are going to happen. He kind of predicts the, what's going to happen in the next day. And he says, this is going to happen. You're going to go here. You're going to see someone. You're going to do this. And he predicts also that Saul is going to meet a group of prophets. And Saul himself is going to prophesy. And he's going to be in the spirit. So it, it, goes, it goes like this. Um, he says, as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come on you in power, and you will prophesy with Him, and you will be changed into a different person. Okay, and then it describes what happened. It says, when he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came on him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Listen to how some of this is described. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Paul also among the prophets? After Paul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. So just like when I was growing up, I would hear this phrase, I haven't heard it 
uh, lately, I don't know if some of you still say this phrase, but I'll be a monkey's uncle. <laughs> Usually say that, I'll be a monkey's uncle. You say it when you're surprised about something. I wonder if this phrase functioned in the same way for ancient Israel. It's basically saying it became a figure of speech. Is Saul also among the prophets? You know, you see something, you, you just suddenly see like, uh, you know, the king's mascot, Slanson, just riding a motorcycle down and you say, is Saul also among the prophets? Yeah. I'll be a monkey's uncle, you know. That seems to be, and I want to point that out because it was so surprising that Saul, this random dude, uh, had, the spirit of the Lord came on him like they were used to with this select group of blessed prophets of God. There was a sense of, in the, it did happen in those ancient old and bygone days, but it happened in a very careful, almost stingy places where God let his spirit out into these prophets. And now, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we have something that I might, you might talk about as the big Jesus shift. You know, there's this big progression of how God has been working from the Old Testament Israel days through onto the church till now. There's this progression of things. And in that progression, we're seeing all the signs in these passages we've been looking at in the last few weeks, from Easter to the Ascension to now Pentecost. We're seeing these big moments that are just emphasizing really all the same thing. There is a huge Jesus shift in the big story of God. And so what we one way to think about that in terms of Pentecost is that now all those intermediaries, all the mediators that were kind of where the stingy, you know, disbursement of God's spirit took place, they're all kind of just set to the side now because the final prophet has come in Jesus who has the spirit to dispense. The final king, like King Saul, the final king has been anointed and is now dispensing the spirit and embodying the spirit. And the way the Bible then talks about it, you can go on to flesh this out, that we are the body of Christ. So there's this even more tight connection to this one final mediator of the Holy Spirit. And the gates are wide open. And the curtain, if you know some of the biblical story, you know the phrase, the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom, bottom, opening up God's presence to all. We're in a new era. There indeed is a new chapter that we are a part of. And so, that's a pretty magnetic, amazing message. If you imagine a big crowd of people thinking that these guys are drunk, um, just also ha halfway thinking, well, this is really amazing, and needing some explanation for it. And it kind of closes off with Peter saying at the end of this, this message, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like the, the doors are just flung wide open now. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord are going to Pretty magnetic message. Pretty 
explosive message at this time. We're given, before the story happens, we're told this number of, there's like 120 of these people getting together, and then at the end of this it says 3,000 were added to their number. A pretty amazing message, a pretty gripping message. And that's what Pentecost is all about. That's what Pentecost is pointing to. That message continues to go forward. It may not look the same in every place. The Holy Spirit will be seen by you and by me in this church in all kinds of ways, in small-scale stories and in big, broader public stories. But the Holy Spirit continues to be given out in all kinds of ways that look really different. Not always flashy. I like to remember that in the New Testament we learn about a couple of places where it talks about the Spirit. It talks about it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And in those conversations, with the fruit of the Spirit, a couple of things that are mentioned are patience and self-control. What if there was an outbreak of patience and self-control? Praise God for that. that happened in my life. Wow. Yeah. I mean... So you get the sense of some of the different ways you might see the Holy Spirit breaking out with power in the list of the, um, of the gifts of the Spirit. Amidst that gift are the gifts of serving and helping and administration. What if there was an outbreak of administration? You get the sense, bless you, you get the sense that um, you know, our, our eyes are drawn towards the flashy, and of course, and I'm excited, and bring it on. But, you know, it might not be wind and, and fire and language. Maybe it'll be um, smoke and ice and silence. I don't know. You know, the, let the Holy Spirit come in and do what the Holy Spirit will do. Um, I was always struck when I had read through um, this old uh, book that St. Augustine wrote in like the 5th century called Confessions. And he tells his own story and, and in his story there's these magnificent little vignettes that give us a picture of how they lived in this time that you might even call post-Christian. Like Christianity had, had, a, had begun to have a pretty good run and it had been pretty popular already and so there was, there was such a thing that we, we would maybe know today if you were kind of raising your kids and teaching them about Jesus they might grow up and kind of say, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've moved on intellectually, and I'm off to this. And you know, that's kind of that, that. Augustine is a great example of that, with his mom praying for him as he kind of went his own way. Well, Augustine eventually became a Christian, but he writes a couple stories about things that I find incredible about how the Holy Spirit was at work. One of them is about a friend that um, that he doesn't even tell us the name of this friend. He says he got to he got to um, become real close to this friend in this one year, and what. We'll, and he, and he talks about it as he kind of was alongside this young man. And Augustine was an intellectual, so he has this intellectual partner, and they're, they're, they're making this friendship, and he's, he's helping this friend kind of step away intellectually from his Christian roots. And, and he describes that they were becoming so close in this year, but then this friend becomes sick. And this friend is now, you know, uh, Augustine and his friend, they, they mock Christians and they're way too cool and too smart for this Christianity stuff. And so when this friend becomes sick and it looks like he's going to die and he's not even conscious, his family comes in and they anoint him with water and they pray over him and they baptize him. And, um, and he actually starts to get better. 
And um, Augustine comes in and visits him, and just kind of talking to him, and, and he's, Augustine's excited because he's doing well. And Augustine pokes around a little bit in discussion and, and starts to poke fun of the, and starts to make light of this thing that his family has done. A, a kind of conversation he would have had all the time with his friend before. And as he's having this conversation, I'll just read it. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Okay. And I myself uh, cared little at that time, presuming that his soul would retain what it had taken from me, rather than what was done to his unconscious, both uh, unconscious body. It turned out, however, far differently, for he was revived and restored immediately as soon as I could talk to him, and I did this as soon as he was able, for I never left him, and we were excessively dependent on each other. I tried to joke with him. Supposing that he also would joke in return about that baptism which he had received when his mind and senses were inactive, but which he had since learned that he had received. But he recoiled from me, as if I were his enemy. And with a remarkable and unexpected freedom, he warned me that if I wanted to continue as his friend, I must stop saying such things. I just... I just see in that private story, in that private moment, I see the Holy Spirit. There's another great story to tell us that's a more public. And this is my point is to show a couple of things. Some are public, some are very small scale. Augustine tells this story of how he heard there was a contemporary of his that had, that was, um, that had died while Augustine was growing up into his intellectual career. And his name was Victorinus. Victorinus was a, a teacher of philosophy. Um, to great acclaim in Rome. He was well-known intellectually. And in his late years, he became a Christian. First, privately, he was meeting with the, the bishop in Rome and was being taught about the Christian faith. And at one point, um, you know, Victorinus said something like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? So, you know, I believe this stuff. And the bishop said, until I see you with the number of, uh, see you in the number of the church, um, I will not think you to be a Christian. Or something very poetic, like, uh, more poetic than how I said it. Basically, until I see you among the Christians, um, I'm holding out on whether you're really a Christian yet. And eventually, what happened was, um, he did what was the custom, and he became a Christian, and professed his faith on a Sunday in front of everyone. Um, and so, here you have this person privately becoming a Christian, privately exploring, privately kind of making this transition the Holy Spirit's work. And then all of a sudden, no one really knows about it, and he's totally well-known publicly as this sophisticated thinker of his day. And all of a sudden, he gets up on the platform to become a Christian one Sunday. And this is what Augustine writes. So then, when he ascended to the platform to make his profession, everyone, as they recognized him, whispered his name to one another in tones of jubilation. Who was there among them that did not know him? And a low murmur ran through the mouths of all the rejoicing multitude. Victorinus! Victorinus! There was a sudden burst of exultation at the sight of him, and suddenly they were hushed that they might hear him. He pronounced the true faith, and with an excellent boldness. And all desired to take him to their very heart, indeed by their love and joy they did take into their heart. Love and joy were their hands with which they took hold of him. 
returns. The Holy Spirit, we can expect, works in all kinds of ways. Let's pray um, that God would continue to unleash the beautiful ways of Spirit in this city life church in our own lives. Our gracious God, many here could list ways that they've not only seen your Spirit alive and active in their own lives and in the lives of friends, but there are many stories of how you've been at work at City Life through your Holy Spirit. You have opened the doors of your presence and of your Holy Spirit. We no longer look to those mediators and those special people. We know that you have promised to anyone who would come to offer your grace and to offer your Holy Spirit. And so whether we whether we um, are, are excited for a new phase of your spirit opening things up in our lives and in our church, or whether we're quite timid and afraid of that, we know you will continue to move wherever your wind blows. We pray that we may be open and continually asking for your Holy Spirit as we await your return. In Christ's name.